Glad you're here. Do you happen to know who Soren Kierkegaard is? I didn't either. But uh, I was looking for a quote on prayer, and actually I do know who he is. He's a, a Danish philosopher in the 1800s. He wrote uh, to inspire the church, the Protestant church, and he had some thoughts. And one of his thoughts challenges what we want to kind of get into over these next four weeks, and that's prayer. Uh, this observation is quoted, or at least referred to in essence of this idea. Here's the quote. It's not going to be on the screen, so I'll say it a couple times. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I see some people nodding in that agreement already. The function of prayer is not so that we can influence God, but rather to change the nature, the heart of the ones who pray. I agree with that, and I hear you agree with that too. Um, I believe that the more seriously we attempt to commune with the living God through prayer, the more quickly we come to realize that his concern is to lead us beyond the basic, the frequent request for material needs and ease in life, success in our plans, and the constant of apologizing for our wrongdoings again and again. Not those things aren't important. They are. We're told to pray for those things. But the effect of talking to God sincerely as a believer is that our will bends to his desire. Our hearts begin to beat with his, and our eyes focus on who he wants us to love, and our whole bodies begin to surrender to serve him. This is what prayer does. And we know this because there was a man, the Apostle Paul was a man who talked with God. He communed with God, and talking with God changed his life in a profound way. When he first heard about Jesus, the Apostle Paul wanted to stop other people from following him. But then he had a conversation with Jesus, began to pray in a different way, and he began to go around the Roman Empire building churches so that people could follow Christ. He gave his whole life to helping establish churches because he had this relationship with God, and it's marked through prayer. We're going to begin a series today that will go over the next several weeks, and we're hoping and want to lead you as your, your pastoral staff to refocus your prayers and perhaps even have your heart radically reshaped. So over the next four weekends, uh, each of us, Dan, Roger, uh, uh, Jordan, and myself, we're bringing you messages that can apply to our prayer lives together and individually. Each message is based on a different passage from Paul, uh, which is in the New Testament letters in the church. And I encourage you to follow along. Try to be here as often as you can because we want you in this assembly praying. But, um, but each day we're going to do something different than we normally finish each service. Sometimes, a lot of times we sing to end the service, but these days we want to devote to praying in this room together before we leave. I'm telling you that up front so that when you see the title slide or when you wait for that famous moment when the book closes and you think, okay, he's done, some people think, okay, now I get to leave. It's lunchtime. I just want you to stay here for a little bit longer. We're not going to ask you to do anything awkward. Just to stay, there'll be some guidelines on the screen. It'll tie in with what we're preaching about, and it'll show you how you can begin to pray for the things that we've been reading in Scripture. So the series is going to cover these ideas. Next week, we're praying together for spiritual strength. On August 25th, we're going to pray for spiritual maturity. On September 1st, we'll pray for spiritual wisdom together. And today, we want to pray for spiritual harmony. So harmony is kind of this musical term. I started thinking about things like the professional orchestra. Have you ever heard the TSO, the Toronto Symphony, Symphony Orchestra? Yes? I had the opportunity to go and do that with Pastor Dan. And it's beautiful. They play in a concert hall, and the music is amazing. They can play scores by people like Hans Zimmer, who is the composer who did, um, you may not know, he's done tons of stuff, but he did like the movie score for Batman, if that's great music in your opinion. I think the music under Batman is pretty cool. Not the 70s one, though, or the 60s one. Not that. 
okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about something much better. So it's that kind of stuff. Or they play Handel, like the Messiah. That's the one we went to hear. And it introduces you to the splendor of musical harmony. It's a delight to your ears. The waves of sound produced by so many complementary notes played at once under the direction of a brilliant composer, they can vibrate your chest and even cause you to hold your breath as you anticipate the next chord. It's not at all the same experience that you have when you head down to the local public school for the assembly and you have to listen to the sixth grade band bring out their <laughs> flutes and, and, and old brass trumpets and stuff and, and sound up and, and start to sound. I know they do a good effort. They could even play the same songs. But if you've heard one of them, maybe you realize that you've taken harmony for granted because it's not the same. And if you've been through it, you've endured and you should have a badge because you've survived something amazing. <laughs> we don't want to take our harmony for granted, musically or spiritually. You can have inspiring cooperation between people in a church, or you can have this uncomfortable noise and awkward silences that just don't work together, and it's associated with people who fail to bring themselves in line with the direction of our composer, Jesus Christ. Without the cooperation needed to achieve spiritual harmony, the cacophony will ruin the conditions that encourage mutual prayer and growth that comes from talking with God together. So we're going to turn to Paul's words, and we're going to see him praying for our harmony. So if you're there, in Romans chapter 15, we're pretty much in this one spot, and, and it's such a challenge for, for me to come to one verse like this. Romans is a 16-chapter verse. I've got three verses, and they pull from everywhere else to make all these points land. And I've been all over this book this week, but I can't share all that with you. I'll try to summarize it, but we're just starting here at this heart of prayer from Paul. So Romans chapter 15, verse 5 May, that's how we know he's praying here, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So I've been meditating on this for a number of weeks now, and I see five directives here that are going to guide our praying together as we look for spiritual harmony from the Lord today. So the first is the obvious one. Don't take harmony for granted. We do actually need to pray for it, and we need to pray for it urgently. We have to pray for spiritual harmony. We have to ask for it. It doesn't belong to us just because we are nice to each other and we learn to kind of control our tongues and not say mean things. It doesn't belong to us just because we chose to be in a church and we, and we dressed up a room and we had this service. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us and so we can't assume for a second that loving cooperation happens as a result of natural effort or human politics. You can just watch any time the, uh, the, the, the voting time comes near, and you can see all the opinions, and it doesn't bring us together. Effort and politics are never enough to provide what only God can give us, which is a changed heart for each other. So that's why he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. It's something that has to be given. It's through Jesus that God reconciles people from all walks of life, sometimes people with different opinions about appropriate moral and worship behavior. Even in this room, there are people that come from all walks of life and, and different heritages spiritually. And it, it can create tensions. And Scripture observes this. We see it, and Paul is working here. He's writing here. He's, he's given many, many words to try to 
relieve some of this tension between two different types of people that he was building church from. On the one side, he had those that observed the law of Moses, the things that, the, the, the Ten Commandments and all the things that came around from, from then, the Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus and all that stuff. And they were in church and they'd done church for a certain way and, and they knew how to relate to God through that. But then Jesus came and he actually put his spirit in people who had no history with that. People who were ignorant of it. Or worse, they used to worship idols. And their whole life now was connected to Christ, but it wasn't connected to the law. And that was a real challenge. It was difficult for these two people to figure out how to, to, to put their, their experience together. It brought very strong opinions of what was keeping them apart. They, there were time-honored traditions. There were, there were differences of how they behaved. This was an early version of debates that we've known and gone through already in the church. It's, it's not exactly the same thing, but it was kind of like when, when the church was in uproar about long hair and guitars and drums coming on stage versus times when we, we thought we had to be wearing suits or ladies had to wear hats and we had to use pipe organs. That may not even be something you're familiar with, but I know in the church that I went to, we were... We were we, used to have a stage with only an organ and a piano. And when we got drums to the church, we just let them sit there so people could watch them and get used to the idea. <laughs> I know, but it was how we were trying to make it work because some people adamantly believed drums could not fit with worship. Clearly, we don't believe that now. And that's a good thing. So there were frustrations and misunderstandings. There were judgments made and lines being drawn around these two principles of law and license or um, connection through what we do and connection for who Jesus is that just didn't work and, and it was grounded in their core theological misconceptions about what was important. And each group thought they'd have to give up something essential to their salvation or their experience of worship in order to cooperate together. So the one side is saying, it's tradition. It's these things that we've always known. It's this behavior that connects us to God. And the other side that's come to Christ without the law, without the rules. They looked at that and they said, if you force me to do that, without, when it has no meaning, it's like I'm a puppet. And if I don't want to be a puppet, I'm free. I have a true relationship with Christ. And you can understand if someone is holding something differently and believing it, believing it strongly, another person sees it as something like puppetry, as something without meaning. It's going to be difficult to get those people together. So Paul has urgently written them, and he prays for them urgently. He's written this letter to try to bring them together, to try to help this de debate from boiling over into a cultural clash that separates their social life. And that's the context we're in. But let's leave their context and try to move into our world. They really had a theological division. There really was an old way of doing things when it was just Israel and, the, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all that came from them. And then Jesus came and changed everything and, 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 and brought worship in to a new way. That was challenging for them. We have our challenges too. And they interfere with harmony in our modern churches. Think about these in a room like this, are there questions and differences about what modesty means? Right? Let, let's just, for example, like, if I had a skirt, you, some people might be concerned whether it was here or here. Some people should be concerned if I have a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Would we have questions about moderation or tolerance? How much of something can I enjoy? Preference for what's the right music? What is the right version of scripture? What really keeps us close to the essence of what God wants us to be thinking about and, and, and talking about when we're together? People have experiences with what does that, and they're different. We have those kind of differences. And usually we interpret the differences as being important because they, they're sort of a moral practice for us. And morality affects our social life. We form and separate churches based on different views of morality and rules and freedom. So Paul was writing to try to keep this one church Christ had died for all these people and was bringing them together for one church. He was writing urgently to them and saying some pretty strong things. And all of that is before we even got to this passage that we're looking at. But he sums it up in Romans 15.5 and just says, this is, this is why I'm writing. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly, urgently, strongly, by way of a reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles and they never, the Jews never thought the Gentiles would be included and the Gentiles didn't understand how to be included when the Jews wanted them to follow these rules. Jesus, Paul was building a church out of them. That was what he was called to do. Paul was writing to them boldly. He was praying about it because he understood that the spiritual harmony they were called to experience under Jesus began with a supernatural change in heart toward each other. The things that they were working through would never be resolved through a handshake and a hello. It wouldn't be resolved just by being polite. It had to have a change of heart, and you have to pray for those things. Harmony requires us to have a change of heart. You can't find a harmony note if you won't even listen to the other people's kind of music. If you can't even understand where they're coming from, if you won't listen to that at all, if it's just blah, 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 you won't learn how to fit in with what Christ is leading you to. Something outside of you has to help open your heart, open your ears to, to this new thing and different thing than what you'd prefer for yourself. And it's only God's work in our lives that can change our hearts and move them so that they're toward each other and away from our misconception so that we're not concerned over our freedoms or our rituals, but we're concerned to build what Christ is building in us, this church. So Paul prays. He prayed for them. May God grant us to live in such harmony. So we're going to look carefully at each of these words here. And, and he puts this word, he could have said harmony, but he says such harmony. What is he describing? Why does he say that? It's, 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 a, it's a harmony that is characterized. And so we get these other things. We have to work at this idea of harmony. It's something we get from God, but it's something we have to put some effort into. So we need to remember that we have to work at it steadily. We have to work at it steadily. Such harmony, um, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. I want to ask you as we see these words, endurance and encouragement, why are they there? It's just one prayer about harmony. We could have said, hey Lord, help us get along. But why say God of endurance and God of encouragement Help us get along. Why would he put those words there? You already know the answer, even if you haven't thought about it yet. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's because it's really hard to get along with someone you disagree with. 
Have you ever tried to do that? It's even harder if you know that person disagrees with you. Okay? That's two different types of agreements, disagreements. It's, it's difficult to take some of these things that we hold dearly, hold critically, aligned with our morality, aligned with our worship, and bring them together. And so we need to endure. We need a God who gives that to us, and we need to be encouraged. And so Paul writes that. We need to do this because when things are in conflict, and they were back then, we're blessed because we're not in that kind of conflict, but we have, we've known conflicts. When you have these kind of conflicts between deeply held, deeply held convictions and you try to have conversations about those things, you run into landmines. Those are the things that as you're talking and you get close to that thing and you don't really see it coming and you say one thing and someone blows up or you do one thing and someone's, ah, and they can't handle it. And it's, it's a challenge, and it's difficult, and I know about them because my wife and I, when we were dating, we had some landmines. We were believers, but we had some issues, some things that we had strong opinions about, and I don't mind telling you about one because it's our most famous disagreement. We talk about it all the time. And it was over a, a, a really serious offense. I know you're going to agree with her. <laughs> this is what happened. We, we had, there was, it, was, it was a disagreement over how someone should react when the other person forgets to bring her hot chocolate after a rough day. <laughs> this was a landmine for us. The gesture of hot chocolate meant very little for me to forget. I'm free. I don't have to bring anybody hot chocolate. But it meant a lot to her. And she was like, you're held to that. It means a lot to me for you to remember your promise. It means a lot for me to have that hot chocolate. So I forgot, and uh, she didn't like that. And when she, compl- when she judged me for that, I responded by saying, well, I'm offended. You don't have a right to judge me. Landmine. It was difficult. And in that moment, we began to do what Paul says destroys harmony. We began to pass judgment on each other. And by doing this, we put stumbling blocks about preference and offense in the way of, of our relationship with each other. Look what he says in Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister or your wife. So it's something we have to work at. It's difficult. It's difficult to take your opinion and, and let it aside and say, we're working at something else. And you have to work at that. You have to bring effort to that. You have to s- surrender something that's so important to you in order to achieve what you're really trying to get. And I said we're dating. We are married now. We got through some landmines. That wasn't the only one. That's just the one I can tell you about. <laughs> but we enjoy spiritual harmony. That's not ruined when I make mistakes. It's not ruined when she criticizes me. We both had to work at submitting to ourselves so that we could remain close and move our relationship to where we believe God wanted it to come. And that meant working through disagreements, working through conflicts. And instead of playing up what the conflict was about, we had to play down some things. The nature of submitting to one another without playing up the conflict requires us to endure, to keep working at it, and requires us to be encouraged to keep working at it. And so as he prays, 
As he says we have to work at it steadily, he's saying, this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. It's not sudden. I understand this has got some tension in it. I understand this is difficult, but I don't want you to get up. It's worth it to what we're going, at, going for. And he says, you're working hard to find this melody you can agree on. You're working hard to, to find music that works for everybody. And so if we're going to do that, we have to think about it carefully. And that's why he says, I pray these things in accord with Jesus Christ. To live in such a harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. That's the end of verse 5. Harmony doesn't work unless we agree. Harmony is a musical term, but it's really, in music, it just means the agreement of different things that work together. It's, uh, I love music, and I, and I love the idea that in music, notes agree to make these beautiful chords. We don't always agree on music. And uh, something for me is I realize that sometimes people are trying to get to know me better, and they'll, they'll turn around and say, uh, what, what kind of music are you listening to? Or, or what kind of music do you like? I remember one time I was with our staff team, and we're trying to get to know each other when I was new here. And they said, well, what are you listening to? And I, I mentioned the band, and nobody knew who they were. And I was like, that's so common. Because when people sit down and say, what do you really like to listen to? I'm hoping at least I have a couple other brothers and sisters in here. I will tell them often, well, it's not classical. It's not country. It's not even really worship music. I like hip-hop. I like rap. That's what's in the minivan. That's what's in the headphones. That's what's on the playlist. That's what I like. And they're like, oh, Okay, let's talk about something else, right? You know, it's, it's, not, it's not for everybody. My, my music's a little different than what it, yours might be. But if we're going to agree on, 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 on harmony, we have to choose to play something that supports the same melody. Can you imagine if our band came up here and even though Joel had led out the music that they said, well, we're all going to play our own song. Woody's going to drum, whatever he wants to do. The guitar guy's going to... Right? Singers are going to sing, I don't know, ABC and Happy Birthday at the same time because it's somebody's birthday and the other person has children. The piano guy's going to play something from classical rock because that's his favorite thing. It just doesn't work. We have to agree. You can't have the harmony that comes until you actually agree on what you're going to play, what you're going to focus on. And so back in Romans 12, we're not going to go there, but there's this idea that Paul says you have to be renewed. You have to be renewed by the changing of your mind. And this starts this whole longer discussion that has led us to this prayer. Everyone in the church needs to agree and discern the will of God. And by doing so, we have, we'll have more harmony. We'll be able to work better together. So this little phrase, in accord, is moving us to think about what it means to, do, to have a situation that brings about harmony. It's the same as saying that we're in agreement with, or in the same sense as, or we're moving towards the same objectives and goals as Jesus Christ. And there are so many issues that can sidetrack us from that, back then and still today. So Paul took pains to show them exactly what he meant. And he spells it out for them. Now, I, I'm trying to spell it out for you, but let's see how he did it then. In Romans 14, 20 to 23, he says their issues were about food, some of them. So he said, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. They thought, some of them thought that there are things that I could eat that will make me unclean. 
They'll make me not fit for worship because they're associated with sinning. And Paul is saying, everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another person stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep, these, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever doubts is, is condemned, and if he eats, because he's, his eating is not from faith, um, he's condemned if he's... Sorry, I blew that. <laughs> but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So there's several issues here. Try to make them really succinct. He said, food is not the thing. Freedom's not the thing. We're in assembly because we've been forgiven. And that's the thing. So we're not going to push our issues into what I can eat or what I can't eat. We're not going to push the issue of you can't make me eat that or I have to eat that. We're going to stay focused on the fact that God loves both people and he saved both people and he's brought them into something new. And that's at the center of what we have. So one person is able to eat and be free to do that in worship. And another person is able to say, I'm going to resist, I'm going to do this because I want to glorify God too, and I'm able to be free in worship. And Paul says, and you can be in the same church. When we don't listen to those kind of things, whatever our issues might be, the prevailing tone, instead of a harmony, becomes that of skepticism. We become skeptical. We begin to look at someone and we think, if your skirt's this short or this long, or if you're wearing a skirt and you're a pastor, we're not sure about you. Right? We're not sure that you're really taking this holiness thing seriously. We're not sure that your version of religion or your version of, of freedom is, is authentic. And, and we're critical of that. And we pass judgment on it. And we, and we try to make people conform. And we get off on the wrong thing. So let's just make sure we understand a couple things. If we claim that our righteousness is by anything other than Jesus Christ alone, we don't agree with what the Bible says. We don't agree with the gospel. And if on the other end, if we claim that the proof of Jesus' unconditional love for us is that we must be allowed to keep sinning, that we can do whatever we want to do, that we can just please ourselves, we do not agree with the Bible. Those are two extremes that don't make it work. And people in this church, in that church back then, they were coming from those extremes, but they'd been saved, and God was inviting them to take st steps closer and closer to where he wanted them to be. And they had to keep thinking about it. To stay in harmony, we have to keep thinking about the ideas that we actually agree on. We have to find that common melody to which our individual notes will actually fit. It's like the C major scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, all the white notes on the piano. If you want to play the piano but you don't know how, find middle C and just go up seven other notes. You will play a scale. You're musical. Do not play any of the black notes. They don't fit. Everybody has to agree that if you're going to play in C, you use all those chords, all those uh, all those notes. That's the right scale. That's what it means to set the basis for harmony. All the chords in C major come off of those eight notes in the scale. Well, there's actually seven because you repeat the C. You're thinking about it right now, right? <laughs> if you don't have any music, let's do do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. The do, a, do, do, that kind of thing, right? Same note. <laughs> so what are our notes? What are the things that we make our melody about that allow us to kind of focus our, on our differences but bring it all together? These are re truths that are revealed to us by the Spirit of God, and they overcome our differences. 
They're the notes that help us sound good together. They're harmonizing notes. And Paul wrote about these in another spot. Just put this reference down. You can look at it later. It's Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. But in here, he kind of talks about the, the notes, our scale, the things that we're to focus on. And he, he writes there, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called, invited, led in by the Holy Spirit into the one hope that began your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. You think about that, and you think about Paul saying that to a variety of people who are coming from all sorts of opinions and practices and customs, or none at all. And they make church because of Christ. So a local church is not in any type of harmony when its people are in an uproar over styles of clothing that are acceptable on stage. They're not in harmony when they're fighting about the music selection. They're not in harmony when they're arguing about whether you can, it's okay to serve real wine or grape juice in, in communion or what versions of scripture to say. They're not in harmony. And we can get out of harmony so quickly because we actually do hold a variety of opinions and, and, and practices about these things. And we hold them deeply. But church is not ours to fight for. This is not a church that has my name on it, doesn't have your name on it. It really expresses the name of Jesus. We've been singing to his name. This is Jesus' church, and we're here at his invitation to please him and get along with each other and rejoice about the gospel. So if we want to pray seriously for harmony, we have to be willing to downplay some individual freedoms, some culturalism, some denominationalism, so that the demands of some people who are inflexible don't, don't hold us back, and the actions of some people who are free with everything don't tear us apart. We have to think about it carefully. So it, it might be hard to think about that in the massive case of 300 people meeting in a room together. So let's break it down to one of the small relationships we have in a church, a marriage. A marriage. How, when, when we go into counseling, we say, how are you going to think about having harmony as believers? What do we base the harmony on? What, what will bring us peace and, and mutual upbringing, as, as Paul said in Romans 14, 19? What, what's going to do this? And he says, it's a look at the scriptures. We, we base people to base their marriage on the scriptures. So when we're in counseling, as we're preparing you for marriage, or when you come back and things are in disarray, we'll take you to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll remind you how God says, based on Christ, we're, we're, we're supposed to relate together. And we'll take you to Genesis, and we'll say, this is what the design is. You're both equal, but, and God loves you both, but he's put you together in a way to reflect God's glory, and that brings harmony. You sound the note of the husband. You sound the note of the wife. Your kids sound the proper notes, and when they don't sound the proper notes, you spank them. No, you don't do that. Edit. We can't do that. You correct them. You bring them in harmony. That was a joke. Um, we correct them. We, we do this. We, we bring you in line with the word. This is why we also encourage people to do devotions together, to talk about God's word. As you go, build your family around these things so that you can build harmony from all the different people in your family to agree on something, the same melody. Lots of different personalities in the family. And we want people to get along, but we, but we want an actual cognitive agreement. We don't just want a sappy, sentimental, moody relationship with each other. It's true that I want my family and my church, my marriage, to feel right for me. 
But more importantly, I want to be in a church that is right with Christ. Don't you? So in order to do that, we have to sing our notes in the same tune. We have to choose to, to play however it is, whatever way we really are. We have to learn to do that together in a way that glorifies Christ and brings harmony together. And when we do that, Paul has it in mind that we have this testimony that is a bold proclamation of what we believe. So that's my next observation is that we testify, we have to testify to harmony boldly. The next verse in, in Romans chapter 15 is verse 6, and he says, when we're, when we're praying, he's praying these things, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This gives me an opportunity to do something that I've been looking forward to this morning. We get to build a choir, right? We get to build a choir because a choir is a representation of church of, of the many voices singing testimony to God. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to be part of the choir, okay? And you're going, okay, what is this going to mean? So I'm, you got, I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy. I'm just going to ask you to hum. Can you hum? Pick your own note. Good. That's not harmony yet, okay? We're going to bring it into harmony. And I want us to do this, okay? So if you're not awake... Wake up. <laughs> I want you to hum and warm it up, right? But when you hum, you've got to dig into it. Hum. Okay? I've got to get that little in there. Okay? I'm going to give each group a note. I was able to do this in key the first service. I hope I can do it again. And you're going to sing it. And when you sing it, hum, you're going to sing it like you're introducing the Lion King. <laughs> hum. Right? It's got to reverberate. Okay, so you got to do that. I can't do it by myself. It's just a hum, but you guys can do that. So I've got to give you guys a note. Wait, those are the notes we're going to do, okay, because that, that's what came out first. Okay, <clears throat> you didn't do the Lion King part, though. Good. You guys get hum, hum. That's good, too. Everybody is introducing the Lion King. Okay? We got to do that. It's got to work. Hum, hum. Good. Okay. So now we got to do the choir part. Put it all together. Okay? You guys get to hold it and keep it going. You guys join them. We'll do that. You ready? Like the Lion King. Hum, hum, hum. Okay, we did it. We did it. Harmony. It's the way by speaking together, by singing together, by working together with our differences, we have this testimony to something that's a bold claim in our time. Paul leads us to consider with this verse how our cooperating together in love, how our spiritual harmony makes this boldest claim that the world watches. People know we're in church today. And when we get together, we're not spectators of a concert and a speech. We're the body of a profoundly connected people, and we form a visual representation and an audible reputation, reputation of representation of Christ's body. And the community gets to see that. What we're saying by being here is that it's enough of a reason for us to gather. There's something inherently great in who Jesus is that's worthy of all of our attention, and it's at least and we know it's more so than, it's worth more to us than 
celebrating basketball in Toronto when the Raptors win. If you didn't see the mass of people that were there to celebrate that, you missed something. That was a spectacle. And it was awesome. And the world paid attention. But consider this. Jesus packs out churches every weekend of the year. There's something amazing about that. It's a bold claim, especially now when we know people aren't necessarily as interested in coming to church. As you drove to church this morning like I did, you realize some people are just staying home. They're sleeping in or they're walking dog or going for a jog or they're doing any number of things that are not as important to them as worship is as important to you. So it's a bold move for you to just to be here, to be in this group. But it's been bolder for you to sing the songs about Jesus because for some people who don't believe, they don't even believe that Jesus is the Savior. They think he was an imposter. And so what you're saying about him doesn't make sense. It's a bold move. But the boldest testimony that we have together is our unity. The unity despite this amazing amount of diversity that we see. And so Paul is writing to them in Romans 10, 11, and 13. It's on the screen. For the scripture says, everyone who comes from anywhere in the world, North America, South America, Africa, Asia, Timbuktu, Anywhere, they can be in a church, whatever cultural background. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. That was the cultural divide they had. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this church, we have people that have come to the church through Nigeria. We have people that have come to the church through the the Roman Catholic tradition, through the um, Dutch Reformed tradition. We have people that have come up in a Baptist background. We have people that have come up with no background at all. We have people that come in off the streets, sometimes that don't even realize it here. All they tell us is, I know I had to worship today. And by being here, by singing together, by sitting together, by, by forming this fellowship, we are making a bold claim. We are testifying to the, Lord, to the world that we are in harmony because of Jesus Christ. No one is getting special distinction. No group or tribe is getting special honor. There's no cadence to one culture or one age group or, or one type of thing. We are together. It's always about who Jesus is, and it's never about what kind of religious activity we've been, we've been performing or some type of favor we've managed to work up for ourselves. We're here because God has given us new life together in Jesus Christ. And the sound of that is singing often, but another sound for that is prayer. It's the sound of people praying. We don't pray like they pray everywhere else in the world, but we have prayed like that. And sometimes, if you've never been treated to it, you will walk into a room and you will hear what sounds kind of like being beside a a brook of, of calm water where people are praying and talking to God and there's the hushed tones of murmurs as people call in the name of the Lord together. And it's a it's something to to behold. It's something that gives witness to the fact that all these people believe in God. And sometimes those kind of prayer moments even move to a bigger sound of of praise as people call out audibly to the Lord. It is something that gives us testimony that the world must hear. So we um, we have to continue to think about that so that we can build this testimony. And finally... If we're going to take this prayer seriously, we have to be willing to lead people into our spiritual harmony graciously. 
That comes from the seventh verse of chapter 15. Look there. It says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. At this moment, Paul is no longer praying. He's drawing an application. And the heart of this application is this word that's repeated. If you look carefully, you'll see that one word is repeated. What's the word? Just take a look. The welcome. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We're going to focus on that because Paul is linking the idea of harmony to hospitality. He's drawing one conclusion from his prayer that we would have a certain way of greeting each other that kind of overrides all our differences. So he reaches back to this word. He's been thinking about this for a while. I'm turning back, but you'll see it on the screen. See, he introduces this idea at, at chapter 14, verse 1, talking about someone who's weak in the faith. And he says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome that person. The person who's weak in faith, one commentary said that person might be inflexible when it comes to doing new things that seem to be more spirit-oriented. They, they're concerned that if they do something that could offend the sensibility of the Old Testament, they might be sinning or they're, they're encouraging sin, and so they don't want to do it. And, it. and it's difficult. It's difficult for us who have a freedom to say, I don't want to limit myself, but I want to welcome that person. And so he's saying for those who have the freedom to make it easy for them, make it peaceful, make it easy for them to come in. Not to quarrel over opinions, not to bring it into a fight about these things. So that's the weak person, one who's inflexible, one who's clinging to the rules because that's all they've ever known. And the strong person in the faith, Paul describes himself that way, is one who sees that Jesus has brought about a lasting righteousness for the believer, apart from the law, whether they knew it or not, somehow being in connection with Christ my sins are eternally forgiven and I'm allowed to be included with the righteous. And no one can take that away. It's not about the sin, it's about the relationship. And Paul understood that. That's what had changed his life. And he wanted to make sure that those people who were concerned and were trying to worship, who were trying to honor the law, didn't get excluded from the fellowship just because they didn't yet understand that. So he said, welcome that person. But Paul also continues this idea of welcoming hospitality by going to Romans 16, 1 and 2, when he starts to say, I want you to greet some people. I want you to welcome certain people that are different from the norm for most of you. Because the church was primarily Jewish at the time. The people that had had those traditions, they were Jewish. And, and Paul says, I want you to think about welcoming some specific people. So he says to you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, who, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And if you continue to read that chapter, you'd see that he, time after time again, he says, welcome this person, welcome this other person, and all those people are Greek. And he's saying now to the, to the person who is weak in their faith to say, I want you not to cast judgment on those people and not to be skeptical about their faith and, and whether they have something like you have. I want you to welcome them and include them in the church and build something together. He's praying for spiritual harmony and expects that harmony to be modeled in their type of hospitality. Soren Kierkegaard, who I quoted in the beginning, would say, we would need to expect that if we're praying for these things, that we'll end up bringing our welcoming and greeting in line with God's word, in line with this, um, the way worthy of the saints. Welcoming and greeting today in our culture is different than in Paul's day. Today, if I say welcome, we think of the brief cordial recognition that happens at the beginning of a ceremony or that appears on a greeting card. Hi, welcome. We think of the Walmart greeter. 
and I've discovered that the Walmart greeter doesn't actually want to be my friend. But that's how we see it. It's, it's a formality. And so we're used to being greeted, and then we just move on alone. But Paul, when he says greet people and welcome them, he's not assuming they're going to move on alone. They walk through our doors, and they find no one else. Good luck for you. I hope you have a great time in there, right? He's saying, welcome them. Bring them in. And he's saying to the strong person particularly, it's on you to include this person to walk with them, to meet them at the door, but bring them into the house, to bring them into the kitchen, to sit with them, to eat with them, and not to make offense so that they can't be in there. And he also says to the weak person, it's on you not to judge them at a distance, to stand there, well, I don't think they're going to fit in very well, right? But to go to them and embrace them and, and, and love them and, and leave your comfort zone and meet them. It's a different idea because it's not professional greeting. It's personal. You open your heart. You open your house. You open your private worshiping life so they can be included. It's a hard thing. And so this word greeting, the whole thing ends with this idea, greet each other with a holy kiss. That doesn't happen at Walmart. (laughs) Um, But it happened in their culture. They were a culture, I think. Right, A, a, a hey, how you doing culture. And we have that around here a little bit. There's a couple people when I meet them at the door, we spend a little more time because we're coming from that culture. There's one, um, one group of people that we meet, we talk about everything. How's your mom? How's your dad? How's your sister? How's your brother? How's the dog? How's the cat? How's everything? I get to do that. They get to do that. We love that. There's another person here, when, when we greet, they hold my arm, and I hold his arm, and we don't let go. I didn't learn, I had to learn this from him. I was like, why aren't you letting go of my arm? But um, I found out that the thing was, that was the way a greeting was. It was a warmer greeting because we are staying together. And, and in the worst case of this scenario, it was worse because I didn't know it, the person never let go and we just kept walking everywhere together. <laughs> but it was a welcoming. They were bringing me into their life. And this is what we're talking about. Not just the peace of not quarreling, but the embrace. And the embrace is on you. We try to handle the professional side of the greeting through our worship teams. We have the people at the door, the people at the, at the parking lot. We have the people in the ushers. We try to make sure that happens. But you know where it can be really lonely here? You know where you can feel that you're not included? It's the lobby. As people leave here, they go and they sit around and they go to get their coffee and they sit down at their table and they, they get those things happening. And it's awesome. And I love watching that as the Connections pastor. But I see another group in the room sometimes someone who has gone out there and they don't know if they're going to receive grace when they come to this church. They make it past our greeters and they get to the lobby and their experience is totally different than yours maybe. They're alone. No one has come to bring them along. No one has come to find out how they are. No one has come to lead them into the grace of Jesus Christ. And I say this needs to be on you because we create that community out there and we are responsible to invite them in. When they're different, Paul says, embrace them. Don't just make it easy for them to be here. Bring them in. Just a few moments from now, we're going to begin praying about harmony. Because we want to be, we want our hearts to change. And so this is that part where I asked you not to leave when I close my book, but to begin to get ready to pray. What's going to happen is I'm going to show you some stuff on the screen there. It's going to prompt you to pray. There'll be some music. Just a few moments here for quiet reflection. And then one of our elders, Kerry Griffin, is going to come. He's going to close our time in prayer, and then I'll actually give the benediction. But I just want you to settle in. Don't move if you don't need to get away. 
just be prepared to pray. You can reflect on, on these ideas on the screen. And just to help you understand, these are starters. This is not the full prayer. This is the heart. God, I want to welcome people. I want, I want to do this in a way that's worthy of the saints, the ones that you have died for, the ones that you love. I want to welcome people like Jesus welcomed me, who sacrificed for me, who made me feel included. Show me how to be in harmony with your people. Help me not be critical simply because someone's freedom in you makes me uncomfortable. That's a starting point in prayer. Help me know when I can express my freedom and when I should limit it for the benefit of those around me. So I want you guys to pray about that. You can whisper, you can, you can be quiet, you can be still, but just spend a few moments praying about that quietly and then Carrie will come and lead us all.